C drive medieval vico.exe. Volume in drive C is ms.dos vico dir formatting preality.txt. Init medieval sequence. Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. Live from New York, not live from New York. It's Evan, and uh, I'm here with poet laureate of rock and roll in in Williamsburg, Adam Green. Hello, how's it going? Adam Green is uh, much more than a just a just a poet. <laughs> Adam Green is also a great songwriter and filmmaker, and I've been a fan of you for a long time of your material. I've been following your career. Thank you. And you wanted to talk specifically about uh, a poem that you wrote, which is a, probably a good idea because I think it's pretty hard to get poems uh, advertised. I didn't see any billboards for your poem. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we have a huge, huge following. So, like, this is going to be, it's going to be flying off the shelves. Well, you know, I figured, um, you know, that, okay, so the poem is an epic poem. And um, it's called Medieval, 1,000 Years of Dark Ages. And um, I put it out a few years ago. Um, and uh, I put it out at first as a, as a text right at the beginning of COVID. Um, and then uh, during COVID, me and uh, filmmaker and animator Tom Bain made an animated version of the whole poem, uh, which actually I read at uh, Vin Caccioni's house right before COVID. And then... Um, we actually had a, you know, we had a, fi a sound file of me reading the poem and then uh, we used my drawings and he animated it. So it became a, a movie. Yeah, it's all on YouTube. It's a multi-part uh, sort of fantasia of the poem that has music all through it. Yeah, and the music by uh, James Richardson from MGMT and uh, Jesse Katansky, uh, you know, an amazing musician uh, and string arranger. So it has this kind of, it's almost like a they made an instrumental like prog medieval record yeah, it's for the soundtrack of the film. like bards it sounds just like they're all like wearing tunics and uh sitting next to like a pile of straw or something <laughs> perfect but uh the poem itself what are the broad strokes for the listeners at home okay so the poem uh is an an epic poem it's kind of um a dystopian poem uh that documents sort of like uh the story of a civilization and um you go through all these sort of um sections i think there was there there's an idea that like civilizations uh, occur in reoccurring cycles that they go in cycles that you can recognize and so basically this um poem takes sort of like you know the future and makes it medieval um and, and, it, and there's a medieval version of everything in it the way i had to write it was i kind of walked around new york city and i tried to find the medieval version of everything in it and, uh, you know, and so, yeah, so it kind of imagines us going through the world, a world in sort of corruption and degradation and almost like feudalism. And it goes through all the different stages of the medieval period from like Arthurian times to uh, the Inquisition and up until um, the Renaissance. And uh, in this case, the Renaissance is sort of like a uh, avatar soul migration where the avatars of these uh, people kind of migrate into the hard drive of the universe. So it's kind of a, 
Yeah, I don't really know. You were asking for an elevator pitch of it. It's like, <laughs> it's well, you know, it's, it's like, like a I, slow elevator. This is people, like one of those old elevators. Yeah, people kind of like, yeah, it's sl- slow elevator, you know, and <laughs> it goes to the, to the top of um the medieval Empire State yeah, Building. Yeah, exactly. The Vampire State Building, we call it. The Vampire State Building. It's and, a highly ambitious poem. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something I spent uh, a long time writing. I mean, definitely over a year writing. And uh, yeah, I just would walk around New York with a notebook and... And as I said, I would try to find the medieval part of New York. How does one do that? Well, I mean, you have to get in a certain mindset, this sort of medieval mindset of, um, you know, just sort of looking at everything like it's like an ancient torture device. <laughs> but like I try to, for example, you know, see terminology like, you know, um, like pearwood laptops or, you know, st- stained glass uh, sitcoms. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Crusader knights that are um, devoted with courtly love to their avatars. It really is a chaotic quest to write that poem, it sounds like. I, I was the last medieval person in Manhattan at yeah, the time. Yeah, everything is seen through the lens of, of Arthurian legend. And then it's like, what do you do with today? He thinks the windmills are giants, but in this case, yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, in the churches, they're like burning like Kalanapan incense and... <laughs> Um, you know, but, I, but the thing is, because I had this book about medieval history, um, whenever I do a, a large project, it's like a big reading list that goes along with it. And, you know, so basically I tried to kind of take all the different, um, you know, periods of, you know, at least account for each hundred years of medieval history. And then I would kind of make a section that was supposed to, you know, supposed to symbolize uh, that particular part of the medieval period. I I got a feeling listening to it. I mean, first of all, I I did listen to it, and I I encourage that as a way to enjoy it, I, which I really love because I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to walk around while listening to this is like it was yeah. great. I mean, the concept of the of an epic poem movie is what it is. I mean, that's really like I think a great way to ingest it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, if you just go to YouTube and you type. Uh, I guess medieval, medieval 1,000 years, years of dark, dark ages. ages. Adam Green. Get the 48 minute version where I read the whole poem as as the full movie. The thing about about the poem that stood out to me is just how visual it is. How much fun there's had with uh, those juxtaposition or those like mashups of uh, a texture and then something else of like. Everything kind of having a metaphysical existence, even even something as stupid as like an app, a, right, right, or a, a laptop, or or a clonopin. <laughs> like yeah. there's there's like this halo around everything, and it's something I notice in a lot of your work, especially uh, in when it comes to the visual aspect. Like right now in your home, I'm looking at a sort of glyph of. Garfield, like it's Garfield's eyes and tongue, but it looks like some type of ancient uh, text uh, character. Yeah, yeah, like, well, you know, my, my world is actually made of, um, is uh, it's called Regular World. The Aladdin movie is set in that world, and a lot of my paintings are set in it. And there's, it's uh, on a pixel level, the, the, all the, um, the, uh, you know, the spaces are made of these, um, these kind of uh, almost like pixels that are made of reduced. Um, um, they're the reduction of cartoon character faces yeah. into uh, kind of like Modrion, like cubist objects. 
they're almost like cartoon character crack. There's there's a few that I think I can name off the top, yeah. off the dome. You've got a lot of Garfield uh, stuff. Garfield, yeah. A lot of Garfield. Yeah. Garfield's eye. Quantum Garfield's Garfield. Garfield's <laughs> cheek is one block. We have a block of Garfield's eye. Garfield's cheek. We have Big Bird's eye. Big Bird, uh, Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Elmo's eye. Elmo, Kermit. Have a, Kermit like a baseball, room. like a steak. Uh, what, what's called di- a dick tit. Um, you yes, got, uh, the tits that also can work as a the, dick. the Mickey glove, um, Big Bird's mouth, uh, Big Bird's mouth, yeah. The throne is a, is a Big Bird in Aladdin. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so 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 that whole alphabet is something that um, I called House Face, which was just an attempt to make. And so House Face was basically like a like an alphabet that you could make architecture out of that was made of cubic symbols. And so so the House Face alphabet is basically all these shapes. That we're looking at right now in the paper, and um, and so out of these shapes uh, is like a material for architecture, and then also for world making in this case. So as I started to make films and make uh, things that took place inside of my drawings, we, we used the house face alphabet basically to um, m- most importantly the world my movies take place in is uh, down to like a kind of a fractal level made of hybrid materials. Why those characters? Because I think I have a fantasy that like in, in, in my own fantasy, you know, somebody comes upon those characters in a thousand years and they they they, um, they pick up a Garfield uh, doll and they say cult object. Right. You know, uh, put it in a, museum. a fetish object. Yeah. yeah like, um, you know, um, or like, you know, or they're like, uh, you know, or or, or um, the Big Bird is appearing on tarot cards or on. um you know, um, there's a line about uh, Ren and Sti- burned Ren and Stimpy tarot cards. Yeah, burnt yeah. Ren and Stimpy tarot cards. Yeah, because I, I just I like to think um, <laughs> that people could find deities inside of these uh, cartoons, and that's I guess I found deities inside of them myself. So in making up a world, I tried to make up a, a pantheon of different gods, which was I was you know kind of um, really struck by the way that William Blake did it for his. Um, for his sort of Gnostic pantheon. William Blake has a, a, a group of gods that he, that he developed that explains sort of like a, a Gnostic universe of his poems. Medieval 1000 Years of Dark Ages was an attempt to make like an illuminated manuscript, kind of in the way that William Blake made one. Well, it's, it really is Blakeian. And I meant to also mention that it, it feels to me like something that has uh, a footing in both Ginsburg and Burroughs, which is to say Ginsburg is obviously like Blake pilled. Yeah. And and Burroughs, though, is that other side of the speculative science fiction spirituality. Yeah. And the way that those things work together in the poem balances both those with this humor that and these references to things that are not out of that are the opposite of uh, archaic. They're like completely contemporary. When I thought about writing this poem, one of the first things that came to mind, besides the wasteland, was Howl. And so I, I really, I really wanted to make kind of my Howl. And uh, you know, and uh, of course was was interested in William Blake's illuminated manuscripts, and and even um, the Book of Kells, which is like a an Irish, um, uh, you know, an illuminated manuscript or something. Or that was that was an influence for me. But but Burroughs, uh, to me, is like almost like America's shaman. I only in the last few years, but in a major way, got into him 
mostly listening to and reading the trilogy, the Red Knight trilogy. Oh, yeah. Cities of the Red Knight. Cities of the Red Knight, which is this loose trilogy. The first one is sort of a noir. The second one is is a Western. Right. And the third one is all ancient Egypt. Egypt, yeah. And they have, just like a lot of your stuff, um, it feels like an idea a minute, like a lesser artist would probably be happy to get one of those ideas and make a whole franchise out of oh, it thank you and then yeah. there's like seven in there, five there's a minutes. lot of there's a lot of conceptual things going on because i think well, i'm interested in that in, in just you know exploring lots of concepts with people there is actually one filter between myself and uh people reading my art is my wife yasmin edits edits everything mm-hmm. like she since aladdin she's edited all the text yeah. you know and yasmin is like you know works for google and she's a technologist and she's like uh uh she runs a group called jigsaw um and so but she's massively genius and so she basically like i communicate all of my ideas to her and that's the filter and then i explain it to her and then what makes it into the book is what she understands and so it's translated through her she understands it and that's enough for me so it's basically i make something that she can understand and then that is the work and honestly i mean a lot of the conversations that we have at our house segue somewhere in between art and technology and you'll see in like for example the you know, some of the later chapters of medieval, you know, that when, when we get to the um, Silicon Valley, Jerusalem, when the Crusader Knights finally arrive, there's uh, descriptions of um, artificial intelligences that are based on this book, How to Create a Mind by Kurzweil, we read together, that sort of, um, you know, outlines kind of like, literally like kind of on, a, you know, a pretty technical level, like, I mean, not, not deeply technical, but, you know, kind of out- outlines kind of how thoughts are, um, you, you know, uh, can be simulated uh, through robotic brains beginning with like axons and dendrites and like going through basically like from, from um, uh, base level perceptions to like up, up different rungs to, to, uh, to getting to, to thought. And that one's how to basically create like a synthetic cerebral cortex. I think about this a lot. And frankly, I don't see it addressed in a lot of art in the way that I think it's going to become increasingly like necessary to. And so it's something I really love about the poem. And in, in Aladdin, even, you're doing a lot with ideas that are similar or adjacent with the like technological state. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. I mean, it's kind of like it feels like we're in a world of fetish and, the you know, um, like the AIs are basically there to provide almost like I would call been calling them like autotopias, like basically just like instantly generated autotopias based on people's fetish directly. It's like you like David Berman. It's like, oh, it's like, I'll give you something that's going to going to talk like David Berman to you. And it's going to like, you know, David Berman, you know, yeah, like digital David, girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's going to look like your favorite porn. And she, but she's you know, going to talk like yeah. have the mind of David <laughs> Berman, have the mind of David Berman, but yeah, the like, body uh, of and, and, and people get um, lost Sasha in Gray. This, yeah, exactly. People get lost in the fet in that fetish, you know, that world. I mean, to me, it's actually seems like a more likely scenario than not that the fetish of the Internet the fetish of the metaverse yeah. is going to be so uncontainable and so abstract. And, and actually, I think that one of the people that I, going back to it, uh, is Burroughs. Because I really think that Burroughs is America's uh, Kafka as well. I mean, not, not just in that he was an exterminator who dealt with cockroaches. Yeah. But that he also, I feel like his isolation created a, a ditch in American culture that was like, uh, became the, the subculture. I mean, like people, it's almost yeah. like we dwell, you know, or like from the 50s, 60s, 
it people dwell inside of this ditch that Burroughs sort of carved out with his yeah, alienation. Yeah. You know, he. I mean, he really. I think his importance can't be uh, overstated, and it's it is hard to even see where it begins and ends because it feels like it could have been right written right now because yeah. it went so far. But people wouldn't even allow him to publish it now. No. And, and also um, the thing is that the interzone, which is his world, mm-hmm. became the internet. I mean, the interzone, which, which was recognized by um, uh, what's the, what's the, um, you know, the internet prophet guy from the sixties. Uh, the medium is the, the message? medium is the message. Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan. McLuhan knew that Burroughs was onto it. There's, there's a correspondence with them. I, I believe. Like, I mean, because Burroughs mentions, you know, in uh, Nova Express, like the uh-huh. image bank, getting images from the image bank, getting, the, you know, and, and for me, the idea of interzone um, as kind of a composite, uh, multi-layered uh, mixture of um, Tangier and New York City that is completely atemporal, you yeah. know, maybe like has like uh, the assassins of like, what's a uh, Hassan? Isaba. Yeah. yeah. So, so Saba or... Whatever, like the the nineteen fifties Penn Station. Yeah, you know, uh, well, his back books alley. have all that. Like, you have a like hyper sophisticated robot assassin killing like nineteen thirties uh, gangsters who are eating spaghetti and like belching garlic yeah. Yeah, to and me, going to, like, "Ooh, mama mia!" Yeah, but to me, this is the metaverse. This is what the metaverse is. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what evolved? I mean, and I think that when uh, when um, uh, Gibson, you know, uh, coined cyberspace. Like I was reading an interview that he was saying, you know, I was kind of just trying to do a, a William S. Burroughs type of thing. Type of thing. You know, yeah. and so 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 cyberspace came from Interzone. Um, and, you know, and, and I believe that actually um, the first mention of virtual reality was in an essay by Artaud, who's the, the, the avant-garde um, theater guy. He wrote a collection of essays called The Theater and It's Double. Which um, huh. is the first uh, mention of virtual reality. So it's interesting that virtual reality has its origins in experimental avant-garde theater uh, of the mind, in a way. And um, I could, even, I think, I would bring it back to the illuminations from from Rimbaud, which I was going to mention because I think if you read the illuminations of Rimbaud, specifically uh, cities, cities one and two, or uh, metropolitan, uh, the ones that describe specifically cities and their architectures and their societies. You know, you'll find atemporal cities that seem like they have like a palimpsest of different timelines or and structures. It reminds me of Invisible Cities. The uh, Invisible Cities by Calvino. Yeah, which is like this anthology piece of all these. Each uh, chapter is kind of a different city with different rules. And um, they're, they are like metaphysical cultures. Yeah. It's not like they just do a different thing. It's like a, cert- a different dynamic rules the city. I agree. I totally agree. And I think that Invisible Cities is in line with the Rimbaud Illuminations. For I think it's probably influenced by it. When Walter Benjamin made a collection of about a lot of this stuff from Kafka to Illuminations, he called the, he called the book Illuminations. And I feel like Illuminations is a concept that has to do with stained glass you know like a through a church because i guess like a, in a way a church used to be like a digital like church windows that were like you know the, the giant rosette in the middle of a big church was like a, a digital screen for people and i think that in a way it's always been sort of prophesized that there was going to be media on brightened stained glass and the media was going to illuminate and the, the virtual reality uh, helmet is the 
prophecy of the original a concept of illumination like into the metaverse and so from i think from the illumination of the rimbaud to the illumination of interzone into the helmet set well the, you know yeah i mean i i follow all of that it, it does occur to me though that more and more what we're seeing when it comes to like virtual reality i don't think of it as being like helmet and glasses based as much as like the world itself we're all getting dragged into that in ways that aren't even obvious like mm. just like more and more you look at stuff online and you just don't know if it's real or not and you can't know and pretty soon it will be completely indistinguishable um and manipulative uh, you'll be able to manipulate that you know you look at like a like the garden of earthly delights mm-hmm. uh, and you see like all the angels and demons or whatever how crazy is it we live in a time when it's not a such a stretch that someone could make a robot that can make more robots and 3D print itself based on what someone else is thinking. And so you could literally just have a world where there are like monsters reproducing based on someone's nightmares yeah, you, that it's exactly, jacked into. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you, this is like not you, that far. You can imagine all these things. I mean, you know, and that like that that people's um, you know, that um like the sort of grotesque uh, things described in like a Cronenberg movie, you know. Well, become, Cronenberg become, did you know, uh, Naked Lunch, right? Yes, Naked Lunch, and uh, and, and that amazing um, existence, 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 yeah. which um, is like the video, in, which is a video game. In one. your poem, you say a lot. It comes up a lot. There are certain terms that pop up frequently. Medieval video game is one of them. Well, you know, the, for me, the idea was that if you know people think we're living in a simulation now. Then we were living in a simulation then. So, like, you know, let's let's stop thinking of this as a simulation. Start thinking of medieval times as it was a pixelated simulation. Like, people were glitching in Arthurian times. Like, there was digital glitches happening. Like, the, to me, this there was a medieval video game happening then. It's happening now. The um, Holy Grail was just, like, an accident of, like, a cup appearing at where it shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, it was just a U.S. It was just, like, a, you know, a noise-canceling USB goblet. Yeah, it's like, what the but, hell you know, was but, that? But I did a fun exercise with... Uh, with uh, the cheating on a stranger video for um it was like two albums ago and we basically filmed the whole video in manhattan but tried to make it feel completely medieval and so we ended up shooting it at parts of the met which was kind of difficult because people don't really want you to shoot in the met right um but you can kind of you know we did on the phone with like that um with that um you know uh film app uh whatever it was called 60 millimeter so we're so we're shooting in the met and we, we shot at the cloisters and we, we shot it in front of like old churches and buildings. And the whole video looks like it, we shot it in like a, you know, some kind of medieval town in France. Basically, I feel like the exercise was almost like we we took New York City and we blotted it all out except for the medieval parts. Yeah. Like, and so yeah. we made like a, we found a medieval New York City inside of New York City. It's already. Yeah, it's there. It's, it's there. Just, yeah. And that's the uh, editing part of it, too. Yeah. I, I went to the movies the other day and saw... Um, the Decameron, the uh, the Pasolini movie. Oh yeah, yeah, his Decameron, yeah. which is like the same thing. He's also a big inspiration for me. He's, he, I mean, I had never seen that before, and it really did feel similar to what you're just describing. All the sets in that are ancient buildings. Of course, it's interesting to note that they look ancient in the film, but are being lived in like they are not. You know, in the if they were actually accurate, it would have been like not crumbled and faded. It would mm-hmm. have been more it looked new. 
But the fact that it was filmed in in 1970 or whatever, and they're like living in a castle that looks ancient, it implies this like even more fictional ancient past that like even then it was ancient. Well, you know, originally when we were going to do the Aladdin movie, um, my original idea, because I was was, uh, touring around Italy with uh, one of my best friends, uh, Francesco Mandelli, who's a comedian who lives in, in Milan, and he was really trying to sell me on shooting the movie in Rome. And, you know, we, we saw, for example, like the federal building where Orson Welles had shot the trial. Mm-hmm. And we were looking at like the Castel San Angelo. And we were looking at the, uh, in Florence, the um, Laurentian uh, library that Michelangelo designed for the Laurentian family, uh, which is a uh, tomb-like and, and inspired Rothko in, in some of his like more, you know, d- later darker works. Which and, then, yeah, and then the Rothko chapel of those dark Right, yes. Okay. In Marfa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also the, uh, the, the, the Seagram's restaurant murals that are now in London. So these particular uh, buildings, my original idea was like, I'm going to have the Sultan live in this giant federal building and I'm going to have all these locations or I'm going to figure out a way to shoot this movie in there. Like, you know, you could imagine like a Pasolini movie taking place. But then my wife, uh, you know, Yasmin actually said, um, I should make it in the world of my drawings. Can you tell me about the process of painting those for the film? I I had been to a Dubuffet room, you know, the the artist Jean Dubuffet. Uh, he made a room and that was in the Pompidou uh, where he had made it out of some kind of plaster or something. And he had painted these thick black lines on it that gave it a dimensional space. Mm-hmm. And it was from going into this room that I understood that you could make a sculpture that looks like a drawing. And from there, my mind lit up because I was like, OK, I can make all of my drawings into three dimensional sculptural rooms. We can live inside of my drawings. People can basically be inside of a cartoon. The you costumes know, and objects, too, are, are of the same thing. They're the paper mache with these black yeah, yeah. lines. For some of the costumes to make it lighter weight, we used foam. But it's the same principle okay. where we, we painted everything. You know, I, I had a huge paintbrush that was like, a, you know, a couple inches big. Like the, the, the actual brush was thick a few inches. So it was an enormous paintbrush, you know, like a cartoonly com- comical paintbrush. And uh, I would paint um, the lines on, on, on I painted uh, the lines on everything because I wanted it to look like the entire movie took place inside of my drawing. But I had a, a team of people that helped me, and a lot of them helped me like on a volunteer level or as like a community project. It's like Jeff Koons, like if he just was like uh, more uh, fun and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because I mean, honestly, it was like a no-budget film, but we got a lot of people after we did a Kickstarter to help. People just would like come in uh, and they would... Uh, we shot it in Red Hook in a, in a warehouse, but we built 30 rooms. Um, wow. We built 30 rooms and we made 500 objects. I would actually compare it because we're talking about ancient Egypt yeah. to, you know, how like you would have to make a bunch of objects to, to, to give the, uh, the, the, the dead person so that they could um, go into the afterlife with these objects. Right. So so in a way, like, I felt like we made plates and forks and knives and spoons. We made car keys. We made cars. We made we had multiple cars. We made microwaves and tables and. You know, chairs and couches. It's and the theater and it's double. It's the thing and then right, this yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, the theater and it's double. That's, I guess, what I was trying to uh, uh, say earlier is this sensation watching it of there, everything having a kind of like cartoon halo or like cartoon double, this other layer of existence that that is how we live, really, is like people don't really have like a, a photo realistic view of anything everything is right. kind of like it's the try to imagine an apple yeah thing. Yeah, yeah and like you're very like what you think about the people you know the objects you interact with it's always 
actually yeah, like yeah, we think uh, in cartoons. Yeah, you know? I mean, in a way, that that movie also sort of takes place in a metaverse. I mean, re- regular world is a metaverse. You know, and in the, in the miners in in Latin are mining baseball diamonds. You know, which is just a phrase that I bought, I took from the song, you know, or my song, Mozzarella Swastikas. <laughs> um, but you know, the baseball diamond mine. And so these baseball diamond miners are basically mining digital currencies, and uh, you know, and we're calling them space bucks, which is a nod to Mel Brooks. Um, well, yeah, from Spaceballs. Space but, but you know, basically, um, uh, yeah, that to me, that that movie is set basically people being in a. And if oh, and if anyone wants to watch the movie, it's on YouTube. You can type Adam Green's Aladdin. Uh, there's the full movie is on YouTube. Yeah, for we're, free, we're so. talking a lot about the movie, but I think that it is easy to slide into talking about the movie because it there's a lot of dna that's shared between the two definitely they're all in this sort of world that i've been trying to sort of fashioning out of um you know I, at home you know with yasmin and we've been making this sort of mythology for it and it, it lives inside of this this world called regular world and you know it's constructed with this alphabet called house face house face is mentioned at the beginning of aladdin um during the the scene where uh, Aladdin is being fired from his job as a recording artist. <laughs> yes, yes, which is my favorite scene in the in the movie. Probably. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's some lines in it that are, um, I think, feel true. This is really at the point where Rough Trade is like letting me go. You know, after I've done like whatever, I think I did like seven or eight albums with them, and they they let me go um, at that point. Um, you know, so I so I think I was taking it quite personally. Yeah, but that scene, like Aladdin as a recording artist, I mean, you know, and I like to try to imagine, and I think this is what we're talking about with the medieval thing. Like, I try to imagine everything through, like, I think, like the museumification of of everything. You know, so for example, like, you know, if I'm if I'm signing a recording contract, it has to be like a recording contract papyri, mm-hmm. or like I need to like see it as, um, for some reason, like I, I enjoy seeing everything as if it's been museumified. And I like to spend museumified. I, Do you mean like, uh, like I, sp- I spend like, I think 2% of my time in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So, so I feel like I actually, I, 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 for some reason I put everything through that filter. Do you mean that you kind of reckon everything goes into a sort of invisible ledger of history? Yeah. Well, I, I think I like to see current events as if they're museumified. Maybe that's like a, a coping mechanism, but I like to see current things. As if, like, it's a thousand years from now and I'm looking at it in a museum. Well, it's as soon as something happens, it's eligible for being yeah, recognized for me, Yeah, later. for me, like, instantly, as soon as it happens, I love to think that it's already, like, on a dusty tarot card in the future. Well, this is already, like, probably up there with the headiest episodes of Jokerman podcast that we've ever done. But that idea is kind of in line with, I think, something spiritually at the center of our little like Jokerman mindset project, which is that the act of continuing to make art and to interpret the world, that's what these artists who are lifers do. Uh, that is in some way like this kind of Quixotic, like a spiritual quest that like there is a spiritual aspect to that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, and I mean, for, for me, like um, it's a calling. And also, I think to make the film like Aladdin is a calling and to do total art or that concept is a calling because, you know, this idea of like, I'm going to make a movie that's set inside of my drawings and I'm going to make the soundtrack to it. I'm going to appear in it, say the dialogue and the the actual characters inside of the film are going to be um, like mechanisms inside of my brain, like, like the different kinds of clockwork in my brain. Each character is going to be like a different 
uh, mechanism of my personality, and they're going to like negotiate with a myth of Aladdin. For yeah, why for Aladdin? I guess I should say. And I mean, I think it's because I felt a passion for it. I loved uh, the story of Aladdin in different all the different iterations from my life. Are you ever going to do an Adam Green's Pinocchio? Right now, I'm doing. I'm writing the wrong Ferrari two, which is amazing because. <laughs> These art films really need sequels. But for me, this is something that I wanted to do for a while. And so I've been writing The Wrong Ferrari 2, which is basically uh, about the Hanukkah myth. It's a Hanukkah story. Dreidels of Fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dreidels of Fire was what kind of kicked it off for me. Because like, I always thought of making a Hanukkah epic. Because the story of Hanukkah is quite epic. Why? Um, Why Hanukkah? Well, I, I always just... I, when I, you see these movies like Troy and stuff, and then, you know, you, you picture these Maccabees, you know, they're like almost like Che Guevara's, che Guevara's of their yeah. time. And then I was like, okay, well, these, these, these could be great epics. Um, but, you know, but that's just a starting point for me. I mean, I'm not really into, like, gruesome, like, hard-boiled combat. But, I mean, like, basically, like, um, the idea of The Wrong Ferrari 2 was to make a... Um, too fast, too furious. <laughs> to make it to, to make a... To follow up on these ideas, um, like, I, I spent... a some time um with uh the hanukkah myth and then uh, you know try was trying to adapt it like uh to uh to, to a wrong ferrari story the sequel for wrong ferrari can p- you tell people more about that like the wrong ferrari and what it was where did that come from it's a feature film it uh it, it's it is the first feature film made on an iphone which is actually funny because i was in a huddle of filmmakers at like some film festival and this guy introduced me, another filmmaker introduced me to the other filmmakers. He's like, he's like, this is Adam Green. He's like, he made the first feature film on an iPhone. And like, you know, and it was funny, like in this particular context, I was, I was the iPhone filmmaker. Wow. But the thing is that this movie, The Wrong Ferrari, is a film that we shot on tour on the first iPhone that did video. And because the sound was so horrible, we did the entire thing ADR. So the actual sound of The Wrong Ferrari, it was like a multi-month process of overdubs. As is the case with the Aladdin. Yeah, what, what, things which I love, which I got from um, Italian Fellini, horror. Fellini, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like Giallo, like Italian horror movies, well, but I, I it's love, also you know, because for me the art ones. For, for me, for me, like I want people to feel like when they watch my productions as if they're experiencing something from like another dimension or like an alien world. So for me, like the idea of doing the overdubs, like it's like creates the idea that the movie is a foreign film. Which uh-huh. it is. Like, it is, you know? yeah. I feel like all of my films are foreign films. It takes place in regular world. It takes place in regular world. Yeah, it's overdubbed. Um, you know, like, yeah. So <laughs> Still I, English, but it's just, you know, you have to translate it. You have to translate it through overdubs. And, and so, 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 so it's very common, actually, when I do my, my things, to, the actors come back to my house and they, they recreate their performances in front of a microphone like this, you know. And you work with some great actors. You've got Natasha Leone, You've got yeah. uh, Aaliyah Shawkat. You've got uh, Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, who uh, plays the Sultan? Oh, Jack Dishel. Who's great, great amazing. performance. Yeah, Jack Dishel is Uncle Gary and the Sultan in that movie. He he was he's in the Moldy Peaches with me. Okay, uh, Jack Dishel, and he also does the YouTube show Drivers, which everyone should watch. But um, yeah, but Jack Dishel is like this brilliant actor, and um, I mean, I you know I toured with him, so I knew understood how great of an actor he was, and so for me to like have him you know do scenes with Natasha Leone or something for me it seems right. What was it like directing actors, and how did you approach that? Uh, interesting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, everyone kind of did it for fun. I mean, like, as I said, the Aladdin movie is like a community project, and it was like very low budget. But I think, um, like, uh, I don't know all the ins and outs, because I'm a, an outsider artist as, as a filmmaker. So I think, like, you know, I mean, I remember times where, like, I would tell, like, Macaulay Culkin, like, you should read the line this way. And he was like, 
are you giving me a line? You're giving me a, a line reading? And I was like, I guess so. And I, I didn't realize that's like an epic faux pas. Like, you never yeah. tell an actor how to <laughs> read a line. But, um, but, you know, but stuff like that where I didn't understand. But, but the thing is, the ultimate thing was, uh, uh, you know, it, I think it, just, it worked out because I made the, uh, the production that was inside of my brain as I saw it. And I think that's uh, the best way to, to make art is to, to think of an idea and to try to make the thing that you see in the real world. You kind of push it out of your skin. You have it in your head. You push it through your skin and you make the thing. And it should look like how you pictured that it would look. Do you feel like your favorite artists do that or do they deviate from that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I mean, well, for example, when we talk about the Scott Walker records and stuff. And by the way, you know, we should talk about it because that was a big influence. For, Scott Walker. Yeah, certainly Scott Walker's record um, with uh, the Zircon flagpole sitter. Bish Bosh. That, that, that particular song, and that was actually shown to me by Jeffrey Lewis. That song and the lyrics sheet specifically, which came with the record. Yeah, um, that lyric sheet inspired me a lot to write the medieval thing because it was my glimpse into like how somebody could kind of like use do this sort of wasteland mm-hmm. thing now, you know. Like I, I feel like the way that he like talked about, you know, he used sort of like it's an Attila Hun's uh, court entertainer, and he uses him as a character in the song, but also like you know juxtaposes it with like shipwreck Kelly's like. Uh, flagpole sitting and you know and like a strange like dialogue from like you know old movies like i don't know like uh maybe like al jolson movies or something but um the uh the way that it was done you know there's a line in it like you know um you know uh like i'm you're dragging your like wormy anus from here to thrace like no more dragging this wormy anus around shag piles from persia to thrace i've severed my reeking gonads Fed them Fed to them, your yeah. sh- shrunken face. Yes. Shre- yeah, exactly. You can Shre- tell I've spent yes, some yeah. time so, with yes. this yeah, exactly. That's it. I, it was, <laughs> right. For me, like, yeah. was, I thought that that particular uh, section was, was really inspiring. And then to see the way that he did it, I felt like, okay, well, this is like Ezra Pound. Yeah. This is like uh, The Wasteland. And so, so it kind of like gave me like the confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to write the medieval poem. It's different, but, it's, it's, but it feels like uh, th- this was a big inspiration for me is the Skywalker song. Well, I... I- can't say enough about how much I am like happy to hear that, and or I I feel vindicated in some way because I've long thought that Scott Walker represents the pinnacle, the like furthest reaches you can anyone's gone with rock music or anything related to it, and it'll continue to take time for people to catch up. Mm-hmm. But it seems you have, and there's not a visual element with his stuff. Like not literally. Right, it's no, all no. it asks that you engage with it and imagine along with him. But uh I think that the great thing about what you've done with, with the the visuals for uh medieval for the poem and in the films and in just your uh graphic and visual art in general is uh create like a version of that try to communicate that scope in a way that uh, uses building blocks like literal building blocks of things that are hyper familiar but that for me is an important principle of art is to use these hybrid materials as the building blocks mm-hmm. to use um palimpsest as a as a, as, a, as you know cultural palimpsest and histories as as a, as a, a texture um to use noise as mm-hmm. a texture to use symbol uh uh 
you know, I guess mind wheel or myth or something, you know, like how I see it. Like, so, so for me, like to use these combinations is like a recipe and, you know, and, and for me, I, I treat the artist as I would myself. If I was in a theater, I want to sit in the theater and I want somebody to engage me. And, and I think that if, if you look at like, a, I think something like the Aladdin movie or the wrong for movie or the medieval poem, it would be filled with footnotes in an ideal world. It would be like, um, I don't know what it would be. It would be like kind of like a infinite jest or something. I, I imagine some, some version where people are wearing a helmet and they're getting the footnotes. Well, I think that that footnotes feeling you get by engaging with art that is a little bit more um, uh, difficult in, in this way that's just uninterested and commu- like Scott Walker is not interested in communicating directly ever. And I, I was thinking about that, for example, in that song we we're just talking about, the Zircon. Zircon. Song. You know what I mean? Like to get, like for example, there's all these like wonderful um, language, like you know, he mentions like color of turas and cool. yeah, and uh, you know, epizootics, things like where like you you want to go to the dictionary to find them. Yeah, you um, do want to go to the dictionary, and I think that that his his contribution to me anyway, and it seems to you was that uh, appetite being stirred of like he gives you a hint. And like a nudge to go and do your own looking. Yeah, yeah, and, and that and exactly. And to me, so we were talking about that. So, so the idea for me, as we were talking about a calling, is for me like the idea of making the productions is a calling to other artists. You know, honestly, just to meet them. Yeah, I, I just literally made these things. It's like it's like sending out for aliens. I literally made the Aladdin movie and I made the medieval poems just to meet the few people I meet that actually understood them or liked them. Well, I'm here on uh, Jokerman podcast, which I started three years ago, like with with Ian, just to be doing something similar. I don't think we ever dreamed that we would even have guests at the beginning, but I've you know been a fan of yours and many other people have been on the show in a Thank similar you. way, where it's like it it has created a sense of you know a, a, that community feeling of like everybody who knows there's something more to this stuff wants to get together and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot. I mean, you know, we, in an ideal world, your movies are pop music, you know. To, to me, like, you know, it's so funny because I watched, I listened to this, uh, there was a podcast of these, like, um, guys that review B-movies and they reviewed Aladdin and there was like five of them and four out of five of them hated the movie and this one guy loved it. For him, it was like a perfect film and for them, it was horrible and it was funny, like, watching him argue with them for some people, they just like read the medieval poem and do understand it. And it for them, it's wonderful. And so that's what I'm making the artwork for. Joker man. Heart and soul, baby, there is no goal. Turn the lights on bright You're a rock and roll star Feel my love Coming from the heavens above When my eyes meet your eyes You know it's true Baby come dance with me Baby come Dance with me on TV at the TV station. Baby, come.
wants to be here alone Ooh, babies in mint condition Man, I'm doing some dirty wishing Let's both get on that rocket to the stars